Thanks for that, Grace and the crew. Fantastic stuff. Really good preparation for what we're about to speak to tonight. Because we actually need a few reserves tonight to draw upon. So I hope you've been praising God and drawing on those reserves. You know, it's like a bank. Sometimes when there's some things you want to hear, need to hear about God, you need a little bit of a bank to draw on. Tonight might be one of those times. I'm Craig Schultz. For those of you who don't know me, I've been around the place here for longer than you've been born. And um, yeah, or longer than you've been living. And um, have attended this evening service for most of that time. So the last time I was up here, which was only about five or six weeks ago, I reckon, I, don't, I can't remember... I was speaking about how to survive the best day of your life. It was a fantastic thing. It was just a great to be able to preach about something that was so outrageously positive and just a great day. It was really challenging to do that, actually. Today is completely the opposite, okay? Because we're, we're doing a series on Romans. We're doing a series on Romans, and last week we had the introduction, and it was chapter 1. This week we've got the second half of chapter 1. Now, just a word of warning, the second half of chapter 1 is not really a fun passage in the Bible, okay? In actual fact, a lot of this passage is pretty unpleasant for us, especially to our Western postmodern minds that kind of like to be positive and kind of like to think about good things. It's a passage that actually clashes a lot with what society is telling us all the time, day in, day out, day in, day out. Because it's a passage about the wrath of God and our unrighteousness. These are not popular topics. The wrath of God is something that we don't like to think about, we don't really want to think about, and perhaps we don't even know how to think about it. We're not really sure what to think about it. And in the end, it's probably easier just not to think about it. That's actually probably where we go an awful lot. It's in the too hard basket. It's hard to fit the image of an angry God alongside this thing that we talk about all the time, how God is love. How does that work? And then the other bit, our unrighteousness. Who wants to talk about that? I mean, really, we like to actually think we're pretty good. Well, at least we're not too bad. We're not as bad as the axe murderer or road rager that we read about, or even the bad bloke that I met last week. You know, we, we might not be the best, but we're not the worst. So we don't actually like to think about the fact that we're bad. Probably more often than not, we actually like to think about the fact that we're not as bad as. And so thinking about something that's a little more absolute than that, that we are flat out bad, or that we are unrighteous, that we do wrong things, things that are not right, is actually not easy for us. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We actually shouldn't be surprised. I have a book here. This is actually a great book. Okay? This book is Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. Has anyone read it here? Okay. So... First person up to me at the end of the sermon tonight, the end of the, not the sermon, the service, let's wait till the end of the service, actually gets to borrow this book from me. 
okay? First person. This is my way of actually getting someone to talk to after the service. It actually, you know, that socially awkward time, it's social anxiety. This is my solution. Do you realise how bad it's going to be if I'm offering a book and no one talks to me? That's even worse. High risk, high risk strategy. But this is a great book because it actually talks about how our brain is lazy, that our brain wants to do easy things, it doesn't want to do hard things. And thinking about God's wrath, the wrath of God, or God being angry with us, or thinking about the fact that we're not great, are actually hard things to think about. This book kind of talks about why we do that stuff. Thinking about, you know, our badness goes against what society says. You know, our society says, basically, avoid pain. Thinking bad about God's wrath probably is about pain. And seek pleasure. There's not much pleasure in what we're going to... When we think about these topics first up. It can be a bit hard or depressing. Or is it? Maybe not. Let's find out. Let's get started. Let's rip the band-aid. The sooner we start, the sooner we finish. Actually, before I start, I do want to mention something, that out the back in the foyer, there are some cards that actually have some verses from Romans on it. And one of the things we're talking about, introducing perhaps not every week, but a little bit as we go through this um, series on Romans, is actually encouraging us to, to memorise some of the scripture that, we were, that we're reading. So if that sounds like you, and even if it doesn't but you want a challenge for the week, there's some little cards out the back there with some of the memory verses that, um, you know, and the key verses from Romans. So when they're all gone, they're all gone, so get in there early. But, um, and watch this space in the coming week for how we go about that memorisation. Anyway, ripping the band-aid, Romans chapter 1, let's read it. Starting at verse 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as, or, as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images remem- resembling mortal people and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul just can't help himself every now and then. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all kinds of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They did not, though they did not, ugh, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Tough stuff. Probably some of you got a little bit nervous as I read some verses through the middle of there and thought, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Oh, that's not very comfortable. But we're going to start with some good news. The good news really is in verses 18 through 20, which actually said that God reveals himself to us. Let's not take that for granted. That God has revealed himself to us. It's incredible. Actually, he says that for what can be known about God is plain to them. That's us. He's talking about people because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Just saying that we can see God in what's around us. We can see God. He's revealed himself if we look for it. If only we will look for it. It's not a secret. We can know the creator of the universe and our creator. It's fantastic. And that's the good news. It's way too short. We've got a fair bit of this to go yet. But um, you might get some more later. So verse 18 reveals one aspect of God, and let's talk about that. For those of you who are at the youth, uh, sorry, the young adults camp, raise your hands. How many? How many? A good lot. You remember we actually spoke, or, or Mike Mills was there, the head of the Baptist Churches of South Australia, was there, and he spoke about how God was not safe but good. Remember that? This bit um, tonight is probably a bit about the not safe bit, but for those of you who weren't there, let's just reprise the background to that statement. C.S. Lewis was a theologian in the, in the United Kingdom in the middle, mid-1950s or in the middle of last century. He wrote a lot of theology. But I would say he's probably one of the most accessible theologians that I know of. And his reading, he can write theology in a way that even I can understand most of it. Some of his theology was written in allegorical form or a story. And you might know that as the Narnia series. And in one of those books, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver's about to introduce Susan, two of the characters, Susan being a young girl, to Aslan, who is the king of Narnia. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? 
Of course he isn't safe, but he is good, and he is the king, I tell you. This wrath or anger that we, that's spoken about in verse 18 is the not, part, not safe part of this phrase, not safe but good. It's along the same lines as Hebrews chapter 10, which says, We know that God said, I will punish people for the wrongs they do. I will repay them. And he also said, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrible thing to face punishment from the living God. Not safe. That's our God. It's a terrible thing to face punishment from the living God. We may not like it, but it's a fact. It's a part of the God that we serve. It might not be popular, but that doesn't make it wrong. That God has this in his character. Denial's not a strategy. It doesn't work, and especially in the long term. It's very ineffective. There's an incident I read of it back, I remember reading this back in 1996. So some of you were born back then. But at that time, at that time I remember reading this at the time and thinking that's actually quite amusing. Because the Synod of the Church of England in the United Kingdom actually decided that they didn't like the theology of hell, so they voted it out of existence. They held a vote and said, who here thinks that hell exists? Turns out more people thought no than yes, and so they said, okay, it doesn't exist anymore. As if they could actually change it with a vote. It, I find that quite amusing. Um, some things we just can't change. Facts is facts. So this verse sounds bad for us. Because it actually says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of people. But hold up. Wait a minute. His wrath that is spoken of here is not against us. His wrath is not against us. Because when you look, it says, His wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. His anger is not at the people. His anger is at the things that the people do. The bad acts, the wrong acts. That's where it is. So that of is the most important word here, of people. It's against our acts of defiance. But mostly, his wrath is against our rejection of him. We reject what he offers and exchange it for something far less. This passage speaks of it as a lie. Verse 21 for although they knew God, they knew God because he's revealed himself, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't honour him. In actual fact, what we do is we actually honour ourselves and think we are the arbiter of truth, not God. We can vote hell out of existence. We can do this. We give ourselves that power. It's, it's almost amusing, but we do it too. So we might laugh at what happened there, but we do exactly the same thing. We decide that we are the reference point, not what God is doing and saying. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal men. Think Kardashians, 
Facebook, married at first sight, Jason Bourne, although I think he might be okay. Um, <laughs> he could be real. Iron Man, home and away, look, the numbers are all there. They exchanged, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, which is ourselves and the things rather than creator. They worship the creature. They wor- we worship. Our society worships ourselves. Think how much time and effort we spend on making ourselves look beautiful. Exhibit A. <laughs> I spent all of three minutes, maybe less. Some things are beyond repair. Sad but true. Maybe I've stopped worshipping. No, I still like to do the best I can. We do. We actually, we actually like to spend time. And they're not saying it's completely wrong. Don't get me wrong here. This is not being fanatical. It's just saying how much time do we spend on the things that are important to us rather than the things that are important to God? How much do we worship the things that we create rather than what God has created? We chase possessions, we chase careers, we chase reputation. These things are really important. And this is how we worship the created thing, ourselves or others, and not the creator. Some people worship nature. They just say, you know, just look how fantastic this is. I feel like I'm part of all of this. Yes, it's true. It's just great to be here. I just feel something when I'm out there in nature. All of that's true. But it can come to a point where we're actually worshipping what God created rather than the person who created all of those things. So moving on, verses 24 to 31, this passage talks about how God gave them up. And he gave them up to three things. Gave them over. It said, because of who they are, because of the choices that people make, God has given them over to, verse 24, the dishonouring of their bodies. Verse 26, dishonourable passage. Uh, Dishonourable passage. Try again. Third time lucky. Dishonourable passions. And thirdly, a debased mind in verse 28. So dishonouring of their bodies, dishonourable passions, and a debased mind. What does it mean when he says he gave them up? One of the first things, if he gave them up too, it actually says that we have a choice. We actually have a choice to do what God wants. Or, if God gives us up to something, we actually have the opportunity to follow a different way. We can choose to do things even if they might damage us. Do you know, I think, the, I think the statistics, something like this, that 70% of people who have a heart attack do not make the lifestyle changes necessary to avoid another heart attack. Change is really hard. Changing our life and our habits and what we do is really hard. And even when it might damage us, we still choose to do those things. And probably all of us have some of those habits in our life. Probably all of us have some of that. It's not just other people. 
We keep doing things, the very things sometimes that we don't want to do. But it actually says that if God gave us over to do these things, that we have a choice. Some Christians might want to focus on those um, middle verses that you're probably a bit nervous I might speak about, verses 26 and 27, that talks about dishonourable passions. And particularly on this passage, on homosexual acts. Christians have a reputation, fairly or unfairly, for focusing on this, this aspect. We really do. People think that's what we think about a lot. If you look at society, that's what they think. But in actual fact, we shouldn't forget the other things that are spoken about. We shouldn't forget about the dishonouring of the bodies, which has got nothing to do with homosexual acts, or that long list of the acts of a debased mind. Those things are also true. And we shouldn't think, forget um, other passages. I can find you another passage that um, talks about dishonourable acts and other dishonourable passions that are not homosexual, but that talk about fornication, sex outside of wedlock, or adultery, sex outside of wedlock. And um, I can, that passage, that same passage, will talk a lot about those other activities of a debased mind. As a bit of an aside, somebody recently actually posted something on social media that's got a lot of press. Anybody know who that is? Yeah? Who's that? Israel Folau. How many people here have seen or heard of the post that Israel Folau... That is pretty much... Is there anyone who hasn't heard of what Israel Folau did? I want the address of that rock that you've been hiding under. That sounds like a really good place. I don't mean that to be harsh. <laughs> okay? That's just meant to be funny. All right? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it has been absolutely everywhere. So, um, so you might have seen this, Okay? Or something like this. So, um, this is what Izzy actually, Israel Folau, actually posted. It wasn't this. It wasn't just the thing on the right. He posted this. Now, you won't be able to read all of that on the right-hand side. But what Israel Folau posted was actually a paraphrase of Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21 which actually lists a whole bunch of those things that we also kept caught in the Acts passage and a few extra. But he actually includes some extra text as well and it's not always um, included. But when you look at this list, it's pretty inclusive actually. So this post has been sort of promoted as something that was actually divisive and separatist, but in actual fact, probably includes all of us. It probably includes all of us. Very interesting. You might not, um, and you might see that on the right-hand side, if you read it, it actually says, the text includes on the, on the right-hand side, Jesus Christ loves you and is giving you time to turn away from your sin and come to him. So in his mind, that was part of the message. Here's what you're likely to have seen as well. I've actually been following this a bit, and I don't know if you pick the difference between that and that, Look at the text. Look at the text. Anybody notice what's missing? What's the last bit? 
Only Jesus saves. About half of the half of the things that you find on social media about this will 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 show this. They take out Jesus. Our society doesn't necessarily want to talk about Jesus. Sometimes it's a bit Jesus, la 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 la. Don't want to have that bit. That's not part of it. In actual fact, it's pretty interesting. Um, this is what he posted. This is what I think society heard. That's what they heard. This is what society thinks we are saying. Maybe they think this. Well, this is what we think we are saying. Or we might think we're saying this. Because we don't really want to talk about repentance. Or we might be saying this. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Because it's actually awkward. It's difficult. We, too, suppress the truth. Because we don't want to talk about it. But this has no context. It actually doesn't make any sense, really, in some ways. If you have no context for only Jesus saves... What's the point? I mean, Jesus saves, nab more than money, sea bus for all of us. It's just another one of those, isn't it? <laughs> Probably makes even less sense in a way. So, um, you know, without context, without context, this doesn't make much sense. And even this doesn't make much sense. Repent, repent from what? Sad but true, that actually does make sense that provides context i don't know about you but i actually feel uncomfortable about all of this as a christian i feel uncomfortable so if you're feeling uncomfortable don't be surprised i too am uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable conversation and maybe i feel like it doesn't provide enough context for the conversation that i want to have with people because context is everything And one of the difficulties about social media is there's inadequate time to provide the context or to make it appropriate for the person that you're talking to. But was Israel Folau wrong? Don't know. Can't answer. Certainly put something that's just the truth of God out there and people responded. Might not like it. But um, that's certainly the case. (coughs) I don't like it that the message gets twisted and truncated. To me, what people heard, that is actually twisting what we are saying. It's not what we are saying. By the way, if there's anyone here who is any of those things any of those things, including homosexuals, you are welcome here. Okay? Need to be really clear. I want to say that really clearly. Everybody on that list is welcome here. That includes all of us. We're here. All of us fail in one of these babies, I am sure. So let's just be clear that people are welcome here. (coughs) 
Anyway, back to God giving them up to, God gave them up to various wrongdoings as part of the free will to give them, us people, a choice. It also speaks about God gave them up to the consequences of their sin. And why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did God, a loving God, allow us to face consequences of our sin? I think it's that people might actually see the point that they need God. C.S. Lewis points to pain as God's trumpet. And the consequence of sin can be the same. God's trumpet pointing to the fact that we need to be with him. God's anger and his wrath is just one of his traits. And in actual fact, what we see here in this passage, we only get one piece of that one facet. So let's go back to another passage that speaks of his anger against sin. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, this is when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and a few others. But the Ten Commandments and agrees to let Moses see him. Agrees to let Moses see him. Not his face, but his back as he passes by. And in verse 5, Exodus chapter 34, verse 5, The Lord stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Let's pause there for a moment. Slow to anger. So when we speak about God and anger, we need to understand that he's slow to anger. It's not he doesn't go there, bam, you're done. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But just look at that list of characteristics of God, of which anger is one, but it speaks of his steadfast love, of mercy and graciousness and um, forgiveness. These things are the whole of God. Anger is in there, yes. Anger at sin is there. And judgment is there. But also, there is love and there is faithfulness and there is forgiveness. And Moses' response in verse 8, it's not up here, but Moses' response is he quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. So here's where we add the but good clause to not safe but good. God's not safe, he is to be feared, but he is good and he is love. In John chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus into the world that we might live through him. That's how God shows his love. Yes, he shows his anger against the things that we do wrong, but he provides the way uh, back to him. Verse 18 outlines a problem that God gets angry about some things and even about some things we do. But verse 19 provides a solution. He's revealed himself to us, firstly through creation and secondly through Jesus. What's God, God's view of our bad acts, the wrong things we do? Anger. He's not happy. He really doesn't like the bad things we do. What's his attitude towards us 
as people? Love. He really loves us. And if we truly love him, we've got nothing to fear. The consequence of us doing the wrong thing doesn't have to be eternal. Hell awaits you. It doesn't have to. Only Jesus saves. And whilst we might need and actually live with the fact that some consequence of our sin that we do on this earth, what we experience in eternity is going to wash that away completely. Moses' response to seeing God was worship. That's actually his response. Doesn't that strike you? He's seen God. He's a sinful person. Surely he'd be afraid. Surely he'd just want to turn around. Surely he'd want to run away. Where's the condemnation that he felt? He just received the Ten Commandments. And a whole bunch of others that he knew he had broken. But what's his response when he sees God? Bows his head, humbles himself and worship. Can I get the band to come up? We're nearing the end. There are parts of God's character that are difficult for us, either to experience or to understand. The wrath or anger of God might be one of those things that you find difficult or hard to understand. The fact that God created us with the ability, let alone an inclination, to sin, to do the wrong thing, might be another. That he gave us the responsibility to choose might be another. Why did he do that? That he actually allows people to suffer the consequence of sin might be another thing that we find difficult or hard. But denial isn't the answer. God has revealed himself. The truth of God is known. It's available. In revealing him, in self, our unrighteousness is exposed and we are without excuse. And we have a problem. But we also have a hope. Indeed, our our very hope is in the one who would be the one who has the power to condemn us. Because he also loves us. We live in a fortunate age where God has revealed himself not only through creation, but through his son Jesus, who brought a message of hope. That was his message. The kingdom of God is near. Who died on a cross and rose rose again from dead, as he predicted. That those who believe in him would be saved from the punishment, the wrath of God. And what should our response be? Our response should be that this would click to the next thing. Firstly, to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge that we're unrighteous, that we do wrong things. That's the fact. We need to think. We need to think, where and how do I suppress the truth? Where do I find it too hard to think about things and don't want to think about things? What are the things that I should be wrestling with? Not just putting into the too hard basket. What are the things that I don't feel comfortable about sharing about? What are those things? We should turn. We should turn to God. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is our God. 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And when we see that, we should stay in his presence. We don't need to run. We don't need to run away. And finally, we should worship. We should worship our creator. We should rejoice that he's a powerful God. He has great power, but he loves us. We should worship him as the author and creator of our life, the giver of life, who's not safe but good. We should worship our saviour, who doesn't separate us from the consequence of our sin in this life, because that can be appointed to him, but who has rescued us from the final consequence of our sin, separation from God. So let's do that. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's worship him together. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.